I don't know who, there, I was watching a video recently, I don't know who it was who said this, if I knew, if I remembered the name, um, I, would, I would quote him, but he described preaching as, um, as if you're, you're walking the bride down the aisle to meet the groom, um, oh, thank you, and um, Kind of this, this picture, I mean, the, the Bible uses um, marriage language often to describe, um, oh, are we switching over to this? Okay. I might just hold it. This is kind of easy for me. Okay. Um, so the Bible often uses this marriage image to describe us as the church. We are the, the bride and Jesus is the groom. And, and so I love this picture of, of walking the, the, the bride down to meet the groom. You know, that's, that's what my hope is, is that I can uh, point us to Jesus and that I can get out of the way um, because I, I know my, my sin and I know that I want, um, I want people to think that I'm intelligent. I want people to think that I'm, I'm really gifted and, and so it's easy for me to, to feel that, even this morning, and I was just reflecting on it this morning, that, that I pray for me that I can step out of the way so that we can just look at Jesus and, and just see him this morning. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with prayer, and I want you to be praying that same thing for me right now. Just pray that... that um, that God, God's word would be proclaimed this morning, that, that, that the gospel would be made known, and that we can actually see Jesus and just reflect on who he is this morning. So um, let me just pray. Uh, Father, I am humbled to, to think that you can use uh, people who are broken like me to proclaim the gospel, and and I and I know that you are far more gracious than I can comprehend, and so I pray that we would experience that this morning, that we would get a, a little glimpse of who you are, we would we would understand the radical love that um, you you have for us that we would experience it, that it would change us this morning, and that the gospel would just sink into our bones, and, and, and that it would just be life, that we'd experience life from you, Father. So um, let you, you be speaking through me. Help me to move out of the way so that we can see Jesus more clearly this morning. Uh, so we give this up to you in, in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Um, yeah, I'm just going to take this off just because it's a little uncomfortable. But so, as most of you know, at, at Center Church, um, we like to go through books of the Bible at a time. Um, but it's every once in a while we, we, we like to pause and, and reflect on one of our core values. Um, so, Center Church has three core values it's gospel community and, and mission. Um, I'm going to try to summarize these as best I can. So 
First one, gospel. We believe that the gospel is the foundation of everything that we do here at Center Church because we believe that true change comes by believing in Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. So this is why we emphasize every Sunday on who Jesus is and what he has done for us rather than emphasizing what we ought to do. And we just saw Kevin do that this earlier with the gospel primer. Um, community, we believe that the gospel unites us and creates real community. The church is intended to be a family, and so we here at Center Church desire to encourage one another in the gospel. And third, mission. Uh, because Jesus pursued us, and we just talked about this this morning, um, and gave his life as a sacrifice on our behalf, we are compelled to do the same for others, especially within our community. So at Center Church, it is our desire that we embody the gospel by serving and sharing the good news of Jesus with our neighbors, our friends, and our family. So today we're, we're taking one of those pauses to um, reflect on the core value of gospel. Uh, so we're going to be camping out in 1 John chapter 4. So if you have a, a Bible um, and you want to turn there, if you've got a, a phone device, you can do that. Otherwise, we will have it up on the screen for you as well, but um, I'm going to read it for us here. So this is what uh, John says. Beloved, let us love one another... For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. There's a lot of love in that passage. Um, I want us to, before going into this text, just reflect on, on our cultural idea of, of love. Um, I feel as if we have this, this culture that you know, uh, speaks about love as this inherent truth. Love is, is the thing that's going to unite us. Love, love is the thing that, despite all of our differences, despite our, our beliefs and our values, love is the thing that's going to unite us, right? And, and so love is this inherent truth. And, and um, sometimes I like to think in song lyrics. So this is going to be a bit silly, um, but I see James is already laughing at me. But I'm going to quote some song lyrics that maybe will help us think about uh, love. So um, John Lennon, you guys like John Lennon, Beatles? It's good. Uh, he wrote, All You Need Is Love. Okay. Um, Meatloaf. Does anyone remember Meatloaf from the 80s? <laughs> Uh, he wrote, I would do anything for love. Um, this next one, I actually have not heard this song, but I just did an internet search of um, Justin Bieber love songs. And uh, this one came up where it was, um, As Long As You Love Me, where he's singing, I, I don't know the song, but like, As Long As You Love Me, I could, be, I could be homeless, I could be 
poor, I could be hungry or something. So, so for him, as long as he's got love, he can defy all odds, and you know, you can throw anything at him, and he's fine. Um, so, but I know it's silly, but we actually kind of learned something about how we perceive love. Love is this ultimate truth. In life, love is the only thing that you need. And, and in fact, love is so powerful that I would do anything to have it. I would give up my whole life to experience love. And when I have it, I can defy all odds, throw anything at me, and, and, I, and love will sustain me. I could be hungry. I could be poor. I could be homeless. But I have love and, and, and so love is this inherent truth that's, that's going to save humanity. It's going to unite us all. And yet one thing we can't agree on is love. Because what's loving to you is actually not loving to me. And so, and so we actually can't agree on the thing that we think is an inherent truth. And then we'll say, well, love is something that comes from within us, right? You just have to, maybe you have to work on it. You've got to strive for it. But it's something inherent within you. And then you look at the brokenness of this world and you think, is that really what's coming from within you? Is that really love that's coming out of you? And, and so I'm, I'm looking at the world and, and, and I think we can all agree that we don't really understand love. Maybe to some extent, but, but there's something we're missing. And so I, I preface with that because I think it's easy for us as Christians, to look at that and say, I'm immune from that. That, that doesn't define me. But I, if, if we're honest with ourselves, we, we, we look inside ourselves, we actually see how that, that infiltrates, that, that um, influences us more than we, we, we perceive. So um, I'm preaching this to myself because I, I actually spent most of my uh, life being very angry with people I disagreed with, um, especially as it related to God, because I would, I would think, this is my definition of love. I had a definition of love, and I always filtered God through that definition. And so anytime I disagreed with someone on something, I would say, well, God could never be this or do that because this is my definition of love, and so he has to fit that. And, and I think it's just because it's very easy for our, our culture to, to kind of uh, influence us in ways that we don't comprehend. And so um, my, my point in saying all that is as we talk about love, I want us to, to, for a moment, just set aside our definition of love, set aside our idea of what love is, and let the Bible speak for itself and tell us who God is, who Jesus is, what has he done for us. So... Let's uh, begin to unpack First John here. So, John begins by saying, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. So, already I want us to pause, and, and Kevin kind of stole my words this morning, because um, as I'm reading this, it's easy to just reflect on that very first part. Say, let us love one another. Uh, this is the thing I need to do to be a good Christian. This is... You know, this is the thing I've got to follow to make sure that, that, that I'm, you know, I'm staying a good Christian. And, and so, and then you read things like, anyone who does not love does not know God. And, and maybe think, well, man, I really want to know God, so I've got to be good at this loving thing. Or, 
Or maybe it scares you, like me, and I read this and I think, well, I wasn't really that loving today, or maybe last night I yelled at my kids or my spouse or whatever that might be, and you think, okay, well, am I really, do I really know God if I'm really all that loving? You know, and, and, and so, so it scares you because you think this is a deficiency in me, and so maybe I, I'm not really a true Christian. But I think when, if, if we are trying to understand John that way, I think we're failing to really comprehend what he's saying. So, so this is what he says. Whoever loves has been born of God. So what he's describing here, has been born, is actually a state of reality. He, he's, he's describing something that, so you already are in the state of having been born of God. This is something that God has already done for you, but has present realities. So it's not love others so that you can be born of God, so that you can know God. It's if this is true of you, if God has made you born again, if God, if you are born of God, then you will have love flowing out of you. Um, Paul talks about this in language of new creation. Um, he says in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 18, he says, um, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So Paul here is, is stating that being in Christ, being a follower of Jesus, means that one has now become a new creation. Um, so, and, th- and this, is what, this is what John's saying. Being born of God has results. So, so this, this doesn't mean necessarily that once you're a new creation, once you're born of God, that sin is no longer an issue for you. You're still going to battle sin. You're still going to wrestle with it, but the battle is going to start to look different. Sin is going to start to look disgusting over time as, as you see the grace of God work in your life. And, 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 and you're going to actually experience um, the ability to, to reject sin over time. So again, this isn't always a, an overnight thing. It can be, but, but it's not always. But, so what it means is that sin no longer binds us in the same way. So, th- so this is what John is talking about here. He's saying, he's saying that if you have been born of God, there are results of that. This isn't something you do within yourself. And he says, the reason for this is because love is from God. Love is from God because God is love. This is what he said. So love is who God is. Love is his nature. So again, we talked about this, but we, our culture believes love is something that comes from within something you, you pull out of yourself. But, but John is clear that love only comes from God. So any ounce of love that, that you have towards others, when you experience that, that's, that's a gift. That's grace of, of God working in your life because he has made you a new creation. So I want us to, okay, so I want us to ask three questions this morning. I realized I already skipped that slide, but that's okay. You guys are more on top of it than I am. So, um, three questions today. Where does love come from? 
how do we experience love? And then we'll finally answer what is love, as if we can do that. But um, so the first question, so where does love actually come from? Love comes from God. Love is from God. So I want us to move on to the second question. So then how do we experience love? So after explaining all of that, John now wants to show us how we experience love. He says, in this, the love of God was made manifest or revealed or shown among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. John, John is essentially saying that God has revealed or shown his love to humanity by sending his son Jesus into the world. Or, or, or basically, in other words, it's um, God, God reveals his love to us through the gospel. And, and so it's, it's often that we will turn to so many things in our lives, and maybe even other people, our, 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 our friendships, our family, our spouses, whatever that might be, and when we turn to those things to experience love, and I'm not saying that that's wrong, because I believe those can, can be accurate, or those can be a, a glimpse or a, a picture of, of the love that God has for us, but it's not the ultimate love that we experience. The ultimate love that we experience is by looking to Jesus, by looking to the gospel, by being reminded of what he has done for us. So, the second question, how do we experience love? By looking to Jesus. But then John continues, and he continues on this thought of God revealing his love to us. And this is what he says. This is probably one of my favorite verses. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So again, you know, I already talked about this, um, but it's, it's so important for us to set aside our definition of, of love and, and, and because John's about to explain love. He's saying, in, in this is love, okay? So this, this is where John's going to say, this, this is a definition of love. This is how we see it. And, and so it's so important for us to set our idea aside and let, let the Bible speak for us right now and, and, and begin to shape our understanding of who God is. How does God show us his love? What is love? Um, so the, the first thing he says is he says what love isn't. Love is not that we have loved God. This should be a stress reliever. But there's times where it's not for me because I, I so want it to be based on how well I love God. And, and we don't want to diminish the fact that Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. That's, that's true. We're not denying that reality. But that's not what defines love. Love is not based on how much you love God. And in fact, if you try to live your life solely off of that commandment, and, and we have a lot of church cultures, and, and we're not trying to bash that, but we'll say things like, love God and love others. 
Well, let's see how well you can follow that. Because when I try to follow that, I'm constantly failing. Brett Carey's love for God is so pitiful because I, I just don't have that within me. And any ounce of, of love that I have for God is his grace working through me. We already talked about that. That, that, that comes from God. So yes, we want to say it's a good thing to love God, but that's not the definition of love, and that's not how you get saved. That's not how you find Jesus. So love is not that we have loved God, but that God loved us. That's such a profound statement, and it should be a stress reliever because none of the pressure is on you. What God is saying is that, is that don't worry, I, I'm the one who loves you. That's how you experience love. That's what love is. Not that you love me, but that I loved you. And what, and what did he do to show us that? That he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So we need to unpack this theological word here, propitiation. So it's going to be a bit of theology, so um, follow me with this, but to, to propitiate someone is to appease or to turn away that person's anger. Um, so often with, with pagan deities, one would offer a propitiatory sacrifice to appease the wrath of that deity. Um, it's a sacrifice that satisfies the deity's wrath. So, so what John is saying is that God also has wrath that needs to be appeased. Our sin has consequences, and, and, it's, and it's deserving of God's ultimate judgment. And so to be reconciled back into that relationship with God, his anger, his wrath needs to be appeased. And, and, and I understand that talking about the anger, the wrath of God, is, is, is difficult. And, and I don't want to pretend that this is just an easy thing. And we're just going to gloss over it. So I, I really want us to, to slowly sit with this this morning. Um, but we, we need to think in light of, of the beginning. And, and maybe I sound like a broken record because I talk about this a lot. But um, when you look back to the very beginning, you've got uh, God creating the Garden of Eden. And he has humans occupy that space. And this is God's dwelling place with humans. Um, and, and, and his creation. But he, he, he gives humans the status of, of governing, ruling over this garden. And, and he gives them one command. He says, you can eat of any tree except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, but humans, being humans, completely reject God. They disobey, and they, and they partake of that tree, and what happens is the relationship is severed. They are, they are forced to leave um, they are forced to leave the garden. And because there's consequences to their actions. There's, there, there's consequences to that sin. And, and ever since then, humanity has consistently rebelled and rejected God. And that's the same fate that we all suffer and, and, and Okay, this is going to be a really, really silly analogy. I'm going to pick on Kevin. But let's say I, like, rallied all the guys here and was like, 
we're going to go egg the O-cell house or something. I don't condone egging houses. It's really bad. But if we do that, right, and we leave this huge mess, and then we just walk away, the mess is not going to magically clean itself up. Someone's got to clean that up, and it's probably Kevin, you know? Uh, it's a silly analogy, but, but there are consequences for our actions. Someone's got someone's to clean up the mess. Someone's got to pay for those damages. And, and maybe on a more serious note, we feel this when we see injustice happen in, in, in society, and we think, that's not right. Someone needs to pay for what they just did. And then we feel that even further... When there's, when there's a judge who maybe be, doesn't give the, the full sentence we feel that person's worth. Or maybe they let the person go free and we think, is that even a good judge? Because someone needs to pay for this crime. And so how much more when we stand before a holy God who is a good judge? If God does not punish sin, he's no longer good. That's the reality. He has to punish sin or he's no longer good. God has to punish Brett Carey for his sin. Otherwise, he's not a good judge. So I'm preaching this to myself this morning. So what is the punishment? Well, Paul says in in Romans, um, he says, For the wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, all of us are deserving death. That's the punishment. And this is exactly what he told Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, For the day that you eat of it, the tree, you shall surely die. And through their sin, death was released and became the curse of all of humanity. So all of us are sin, all of us have sinned, and all of us are condemned to that fate. But God, in his love for us, wants to spare us from this fate. He, he's a good judge, so he has to punish sin, but he, he decides that he would rather take that punishment for himself than have us endure that. And this is what Jesus did when he went to the cross. Now, I talk about this a lot too, but, but Jesus, when he was in the garden, he's praying before he's about to go to the cross, he says, let this cup pass from me, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So what is the cup? The the cup is an Old Testament image of God's wrath. So um, I want us to to read a a passage from Jeremiah here. It's a little bit of a lengthy passage. But this will give us a picture of what Jesus meant by that he was going to drink this cup. He actually said it. Uh, quite a few times through his ministry. Um, He would walk around and he'd say, I'm going to drink of this cup. So this is the cup that Jesus had to drink. So stay with me. It's a long passage, but this is Jeremiah 25. Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, said to Jeremiah, take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom the Lord sent me drink it. Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, its kings and officials, 
to make them a desolation and a waste, a hissing and a curse as at this day. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, his servants, his officials, all his people, and all the mixed tribes among them, all the kings of the land of Uz, and all the kings of the land of the Philistines, Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, and the remnants of Ashdod, Edom, Moab, and the sons of Ammon, and all the kings of Tyre, all the kings of Sidon, all the kings of the coastland across the sea, Dedan, Tema, Buzz, and all who cut the corners of their hair, and all the kings of Arabia, and all the kings of the mixed tribes who dwell in the desert, all the kings of Zimri, all the kings of Elam, all the kings of Media, all the kings of the north far and near, one after another, all the kingdoms of the world that are on the face of the earth, and after them the king of Babylon shall drink. Then you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Drink, be drunk and vomit, fall and rise no more because of the sword that I am sending among you. And if they refuse to accept the cup from your hand to drink, then you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, You must drink, for behold, I begin to work disaster at the city that is called by my name. And shall you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished, for I am summoning a sword against all the inhabitants of the earth, declares the Lord of hosts. That's a really tough passage. It kind of makes me uneasy. Um, and, it, and it should. Because it's, it's, it's the intense wrath of God, his, his justice being poured out on human wickedness, on evil. So when Jesus is in the garden and he says, let this cup pass from me, that's the cup that he's drinking from. When he went to the cross, he forgave our sins, but it's not just merely an example of forgiveness. It's not merely just, here's how, how, to, how to be a good person, and we just see that in the cross. It's Jesus endured that punishment for us so that we don't have to endure that for ourselves. Because if God doesn't punish, he's no longer good. So he takes it out on his own son, Jesus. But remember, this isn't God just being vindictive. God did this in his love for us. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and he sent his son to take our place. So um, there is a... You guys like the Twilight Zone? Have you ever seen the Twilight Zone? Yeah, the, the old one. With, I'm, I'm sure there's like 20 iterations of it now. But um, with Rod Sterling, was that it? Anyways, so Elise and I enjoy the Twilight Zone from time to time. Um, and um, each episode is obviously its, its own story and something weird happens and, you know, ooh, you get spooked out and it's, yeah, that's the Twilight Zone. But... Um, there was one that we watched that really hit me. Um, and by the end of it, I was like in tears. And Elise was like, you all right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Um, <laughs> and the reason it hit me is because I, I think it gives us a picture of God's love for us. So 
this isn't going to be a, a perfect analogy. I understand that. I'm going to try my best to summarize it. But um, so this specific Twilight Zone episode, it's it's set in a small dusty town in the old west. There's a young man by the name of Lewis who is waiting to be hanged on the gallows for his crime of accidentally killing a young girl while driving his carriage intoxicated. Lewis's father is heartbroken because he knows that Lewis never intended any harm, and so Lewis's father pleads with the parents of this late little girl, but they ignore the father's words. Next, we are introduced to this, this very crafty character. He's a con artist by the name of Sykes. Ew, it's a, not a fun name. Um, and he's all too happy with the hanging that's about to take place because he was the one who actually sold the rope for Lewis to be hanged with. But being the con artist that he is, and he, and he sees Lewis's father in this moment of distress, he thinks, I, I, can, I can pull a fast one on this guy. So what he does is he takes... This, this old sack, and he fills dirt in it. And he convinces Lewis's father that this bag of dirt is actually magic dust. And if you sprinkle it over the townsfolk before this execution, that they will have sympathy and love for your son. So there's hopes that maybe the townsfolk will say, no more, we're not going to go through with this. And so Lewis can be spared. Now it comes time for Lewis's execution, and the, and the town comes as spectators, but they're unfazed by the horror that's about to take place. But right before the executioner pulls the lever, Lewis's father rushes in front of the townsfolk, and he starts throwing the dirt at them, and he's shouting, love, love, love. And he keeps repeating this over and over again. But they're not, they're not even amused. They actually start mocking him, and they start laughing. They think this is funny. You know, they, they, they don't understand. What, I, I mean, this, this is ridiculous. So it doesn't work, and the executioner pulls the lever, but at the, the last second, the rope snaps, and Lewis is, falls unharmed. The whole town stands in amazement at what just happened, and, and the, the Sykes, the con artist, is perplexed, realizing that all he sold to Lewis's father was simply dirt in a bag. And yet perhaps it was the love of this father that saved his son. Now, let's not dissect the theology of the Twilight Zone, because it's going to fall flat in some way. But um, I just got this picture that overwhelmed me of the love of a father that saves his beloved children. And I just see this picture of God just chasing after you, saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, because I don't want you to have to go through this punishment. I don't want you to be hanged. I, I want to take that for you, so that when it's your turn, the rope's going to snap for you. Because I love you. This is, this is how we see God's love. Even in his anger, even in his wrath, we experience his love for us because he wants to take that for us. He doesn't want us to endure that. So in this is love, not that we have loved God. This is not about you. This is about what God has done for you. 
And he's just standing there and he's just saying, love, love, love. And I want you to hear that, Center Church. What I want you to know is that God loves you. God loves you. And sometimes we overcomplicate that. Sometimes we overcomplicate the love of God. He loves you because he loves you. Sometimes it's just that simple. He loves you, and I want you to feel that. And so then John concludes, he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I feel like this verse kind of sums up um, why we do gospel here at Center Church. Um, so, because answering the, the last question, so where, does love, well, so where does love come from? It comes from God. How do we experience love? We experience it in Jesus. And so then what is love? Well, I, I don't want to pretend that I can actually define it. Um, but love is not anything we do, but it is God giving of himself up for us. God sacrificing himself. And so when, when, we, when we read that and we say, okay, this is how we love one another, it's not based on anything that we do. And, and this is exactly just what Kevin was talking about with the gospel primer. It's what God has done for us, and that shapes how we interact as a church, how we interact with our community. So this is why the gospel is so central to what we do. Um, Paul says that when we behold the glory of Christ, that's when we're changed from one degree to the next of Jesus. It's not, you know, muster this within yourself. It's, it's keep looking to Jesus Keep looking to Jesus. And that's exactly what John's doing here. He's saying, look at what God just did for you, and now go do that. It's, it's a response of what God has done for us. So at Center Church, um, we, we practice looking to Jesus or beholding his glory by, by doing what's called gospel application. Again, we're... we're repeating it over and over again. It's not what you do, it's what Jesus has done for you. That's where the real change happens. Um, so the gospel application this morning is God loves you. Um, and, and rather than just expounding on that, um, I want us to sing a song. So I'm going to invite the worship team, if you guys want to come up. Um, this song is, is most likely very familiar, uh, but it's the old hymn that you sing with me when you're a kid. It's Jesus Loves Me. And it's simple. And yet I think the lyrics are so utterly profound. And, and, and so I want us to just let the lyrics kind of soak into us this morning. So we're going to sing Jesus Loves Me.